0: and welcome to none of my business. I'm Michael Jacket. This is a business podcast, but mainly it's about people and their business. It's driven by my own curiosity and passion for learning from every conversation. Sasha Kaufman, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Michael Jacket. It's we, been a long time, mate. But it was a bit uh, of a it is great it was, to see your face. Yeah, you too.
0: It was a bit of a bumpy road to get here cuz I don't know what happened to that that link. You declined it. I went, "Oh, okay, he's busy." And then you sent me a text saying, I can't use your link cause I deleted it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Look, I'm going to correct you there. Um, I didn't decline anything cause nothing came through <laughs> other than an email with this weird message about rescheduling. But, um, yep. the here. great thing is mate, I'm, I'm staring at your face, albeit in 2D. Yep. And, um, I actually haven't seen your face for, for a long time, so I know, it's a I know. treat. So
0: what, what, is, um, what is life looking like for you at the moment? Are you at home full-time? Do you have to get out and about? What, what's going on? No, nah.
1: no, nah, mate. I'm, I'm at home full-time um, trying to launch a new tech startup um, in the midst of a global pandemic. <laughs> um, so... I feel you. Yeah, thrilling, just <laughs> thrilling. Yep. Um you know uh, second business I've launched first one not as sort of complex as this one yeah um
0: first one being
1: and first one being upskill learning yeah and now um launching build labor um at a time when the world is literally just shut up shop or yep. here in Melbourne Victoria anyway, mm. so um mm. Yeah, mate, it's, to use your words earlier, it is a bloody weird time.
0: Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, I, um, mm. I, I mean, since we, I mean, we haven't spoken in ages, but this year I've been, you know, I've taken a redundancy. I've um, tried to start a business myself in this sort mm-hmm. of, in sort of a, as a, a, in a sort of a contracting capacity. You've done a bit of contracting over the years, haven't yep. you? Yeah. yeah, sure have. Um, So... You know, while while that's not it's not new for a lot of people, it's new for me. Um, mm. And I, you know, it's just a, you know, again, there's no other way to look at it than just being a really interesting time because, in some respects, it's the it's the only time I could have made a significant change like this. You know, like the mm-hmm. redundancy forces you to make some decisions. Um, you know that maybe you didn't want to have to make but um ultimately yeah. it was you know that th- they put something on the table that wasn't going to be suitable for me long term and so i said you know what that's not going to work for me what's the next option and and that and redundancy was it so um it put me in the deep end and you know here we are but it, it's yeah as i said it's um for me anyway it's it, it this couldn't have happened unless there was a global pandemic happening because it sort of slowed everything down mm. because, mm. you know, be, uh, to a point where I can, you know, there's almost like I've got a little bit more breathing room um, yeah. and that breathing room is quickly evaporating, but it's, mm. um yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating period that I think we'll look back on and sort of <laughs> say, you know, well, you know, who knows, who knows what we'll be. So give me a bit of a, give me a bit of a snapshot of your, your career, like early days, Mm -hmm. like where, where did contracting come into, where did contracting Mm -hmm. come into it? Um, and that's not necessarily, you know, the purpose of this, of this call, but, um, yeah, just give me a bit of a snapshot of, of what you've done coming out of school and uni and what you went into and why.
1: Mm. Yeah, sure. Um, wow. It's been ages since I've done one of these, but, um, uh but i love doing this so going back now a number of years and i won't say how many um because i can't count that much but um i fell into my degree like probably a lot of people you know going i went to a private jewish school and um back in the day it was pretty much you do medicine law or business and Um, I went down the business channel and ended up at Monash, which was pretty much where all the Jews went. And um, I had no interest in business back then. Um, I always wanted to be a commercial airline pilot and uh, that never happened. And I sort of fell into the degree. Um, And it wasn't until it was was an arts commerce degree and it wasn't until I finished sort of fourth year and performed pretty well academically I sort of went, holy shit, what do I do next year? Like, what what do I do? What have I done this for and what am I going into? Yeah. Um, so I did an honours year. And the yeah. honours year was literally just to procrastinate, just to go, okay, I need to now use this year to think about what I'm going to do in the real world. Mm. And um, that's when I heard of management consulting, um, you know, and I went to all these... Um, presentations with all these consulting firms coming out and it just sounded interesting because it was project based and it wasn't industry specific or sector specific. Mm. Um and it sounded broad and diverse. So I applied to a lot of the management consulting firms, landed a job at what was then Arthur Anderson. Um and for those listeners who are possibly in my uh age bracket, I <laughs> would know that <laughs> little, Arthur Anderson there, which hit. was which was a global <laughs> The global powerhouse, you know, part of the Big Five um, actually went under at the time I had left. Since, but um, they were the auditors of Enron, so the whole Enron scandal. But I, um, I was yeah, there right. for a couple of years and um, uh, sort of plotted my way through that. I actually got headhunted by then uh, a top tier strategy firm called mm. AT Kearney, and I worked for them for probably around two years, but the really interesting point. Yeah, Can I just jump
0: in? Why, why didn't you pursue the airline thing? And I, and I assume knowing, you know, what the, the business that your dad was in and, you know, like, Mm. was that where your interest in airlines came from? I mean, you've had an interest in airlines and flying for a long time, Mm. but you know, like I, why didn't you pursue that?
1: Yeah, look, good question. Um, I, I, didn't have a lot of support from my parents. So, you know, like there's, you know, if you think back to your own individual experiences, where your support circles are, you know, be that your friends, or it Mm -hmm. might be your parents, your family, it could be your siblings, aunties, uncles, other family members, whatever. My dad was hell bent on getting me through private school because he was never afforded that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, he grew up in post-war Scotland, no money, yanked out of school, and it was his mission for his kids to be educated. And he kind of did that, put me into a top academic Jewish school. But after that, it was like, boxes is ticked. Whatever you want to go and do, you go and do yourself. So whilst there was the free reign, there also wasn't sort of the guidance and the, um, sharing the passion with me, if you know what I mean. So my influences came more from my friends and none of my friends or anything were interested in flying and all that kind of stuff. Plus I was like, how would I pay for this? If, if my parents weren't sort of helping me out, it wasn't like going to uni and hex. It was, you know, paying $150,000 to get a pilot's license. Yeah, Yeah. So that, that was, that was probably the main reason was the lack of direction, lack of sort of financial support, um, and just that my friends were such a strong influence. It was about remaining close, close to them. Yeah. The Jewish schools in particular are so tight knit. And, um, you know, the idea of stepping out into the, you know, the the, the big wide world university days and not mm. being just around your inner circle and your mates was weird. Um, and it's embarrassing to say that now, but that's, that's partly why I, I did what I did. Totally.
0: I you know, I, I mean, it, In hindsight, I don't know if embarrassing. Maybe you feel embarrassed, but it's Mm. it's it is such a it's such a you know it's such a funny thing that you follow. You really do follow the crowd that you're in, you know, like which Mm. which like. And again, in hindsight, you look back at at that and you go, "Shit, you don't have an opportunity. You don't realize the opportunity in front of you to do whatever the fuck you want, Mm. you know, like you like you had it back." back in those days but Mm. you know you are it is so easy to get caught up into that you know whether it's peer group pressure or i don't know just following like wanting to you know wanting to stay close to that community that you're a part of i mean yeah they were
1: were the leaders and followers and i look back now and say you know realize how much of a follower i was back then yeah um you know, um, two very distinct groups, but yeah, I I was just following. I was like, you, you guys tell me what I should do. Mm. And fortunately I had the marks to do pretty much anything I wanted to. Um, Mm. I was a good academic student, but I just didn't, I just didn't want to do anything at uni. I just wanted to fly planes. Did Um, you do any um,
0: traveling before you went into uni?
1: Nah, I went, I went straight into uni. Um, again, you know, benefit of hindsight, I would have taken, as many years off as I could, you know mm-hmm. the idea of one year even now isn't enough. It would yeah. have been multiple years, and whether mm-hmm. that was all at once or staggered throughout my degree, I don't know, but you know um, I wanted to take years off and mature and learn about the world and yeah. see things and opportunities. Um, I definitely would have gone and done a um, an internship or a um, what do you call the um, uni swaps? Oh yeah. Um, when you go into a an exchange, exchange, yeah, 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 yeah. I would have, I would have done an exchange yeah, for sure. Be great, um, yeah. Ideally in Europe. Yeah. Um. So yeah, mate. I I, th- I would have done. I would have done a lot of things differently. But interestingly, I came to that juncture of saying I, I got headhunted by AT Carney. Mm. Um. But to your point earlier in this chat, um, where you said a decision was made for you, um. It was during AT Kearney that a major decision was made for me. Um, I actually got fired Mm. from AT Kearney and um, I still remember the day. I still remember being turning up to work as if it was all normal and sort of an HR person tapping me on the shoulder and taking me into the head partner's office. And um, I could see it was all very serious. And still at that point, I didn't know what was going on and, they just asked me about some behaviours and some activities that I had done
0: yeah.
1: um, and I knew instantly and I was, I was gone. And basically, you know, at that particular time that I was working there, one was I was working in a, in a, in a job that was incredibly high pressure but that wasn't me and that I wasn't really immersed in. And that in conjunction with my mum had been diagnosed at the time with terminal cancer and she was a single mum and I was the oldest sibling. So I was sort of ethically and somewhat financially responsible for looking after her. I acted out and I breached all sorts of internal behavioural protocols and, um, you know, booking hotels that I shouldn't have booked in Sydney or flying business class when I shouldn't be flying business class and just all sorts of behavioral things, I guess searching for comfort in a way that I wasn't feeling comfort in my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember, I remember that day being caught out confronting them and being marched out of the office and literally having the floor pulled from under me. And, um, that was that was an incredibly challenging time so you talk about decisions being made for you that was a time where i had no control i felt as if i'd had no control Mm -hmm. and it was all through my own doing that i was in that situation you know i take full responsibility but totally but you were doing
0: as you said you know like we all there's always reasons for the way that we behave and you were doing Mm. it because of the complications and the difficulty in your private life. And you were, you know, you're creating an environment where you're like, you know, fuck it. Why, why can't I do this? Like, what, you know, what's the worst? Absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. But then then you find yourself in a position where, you know, your mum's sick, you Mm. that's hard. And then you've got, you've just been fired, which I imagine Mm -hmm. is a massive, you know, a massive whack to the ego, a massive whack to Mm. the confidence. How do you, how did you build, how did you build from that point?
1: So it's really interesting. Um, I, um, I had a, um, I had a really, really big down period. Um, naturally mum was sick um, and I shielded her from it. So that was part of my mistake was shielding her from it because I wasn't able to, I had to hang on to this secret because I was so afraid of, of letting her know um, and devaluing that, and back then I I shielded everyone from it. I made up a story um, in that I made the decision I yeah. had I decided to quit, yeah. um, and I sort of sought other work. And I, I that's when I sort of landed the job in recruitment. Um, mm. I was very interested in recruitment, and I was I think it was my fascination with career and how people choose a career. Mm. Um, that that landed me there but for a long time it was a big secret so it was a big lie and and that was to my detriment as you'll hear no doubt in this chat when it came back to bite me again later on um so yeah it was it was really tough to live with that because you start you start creating this lie that you just propagate and it just becomes your reality and um you know but yet you're living with it and coping with that yourself um and and that was incredibly unpleasant i remember being incredibly unhealthy um that's probably when i gained the most weight um and still i've got my mum being incredibly ill and deteriorating by the day so i really really challenging time in my life, which was supposed to be the most exciting time. You know, my early twenties, early to mid twenties, which is an exciting time earning income, exploring the world, making great relationships. But, but I, I, I wasn't doing that. Mm. Um, I was living very much isolated. So yeah, it was, that was, it was a tough time for me. Yeah. Really tough. But the flip side of that was, Um, falling into recruitment. Um, I found that I really liked elements of recruitment. The elements that I didn't like were the sales. I hated the sales and pushing a square peg into a round hole. What I loved was the career management. What I loved was speaking to people and understanding what made them tick, um, what they were interested in, um, and then how to navigate that. And from there, my love and passion for career management evolved. So from what I thought recruitment was going to be be it recruitment as sorry be it sort of career coaching it's not that but there is an element of that and that's where i excelled at you know i used to get cards and gifts from candidates that i didn't even place into roles just for my listening and my confidence boosting and all that kind of stuff Mm. um but i wasn't a great recruiter in that i wasn't filling roles because i just wouldn't push someone into something probably based on my own experience.
0: Totally. And have you done any, um, like professional coaching, personal professional type coaching yourself? And have you ever, did you ever go down a path of doing any, like of coaching anyone or or any, any, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I did, I've done, um, I've done all sorts of sort of personal development and, um, coaching training for myself to build up my own, um, skills. And I've spent, years doing individual and team sort of coaching largely focused around career management or leadership. Yeah. Um, but naturally when you get into it, particularly in the ongoing one-on-one that coaching opens up to lots of other elements in life, be it relationships and so forth. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've done a lot of coaching. I get a lot of buzz out of coaching and um, I'll continue to coach whether that's formally or informally for the rest of my, my life, for sure.
0: Mm. Yeah, I did a bit, I, I did some, God, I think it must have been early last year now. But it just, it was such a great experience to, um, I suppose, just turn the spotlight, you know, like you go into it going, what am I, outward looking, like, what am I going to learn about you know the world around me and how to navigate through the world around me and very quickly does that spotlight turn around onto you and mm. you start to dig a little deeper about you know your own decision making and your own thinking going into certain roles or certain situations in life and um you know I, I like I thoroughly enjoyed it like in fact I everyone I tell I talk to that sort of this topic comes up I'm like there isn't one person out there that I don't think would val- would benefit from some, some form of coaching just to give them the space to sort of just learn a bit more about themselves and become a bit more Mm. aware. Um, and I mean, you going through that experience, you know, with, with your career and did you do a lot Mm. of coaching before, before that experience?
1: No, I hadn't done, I hadn't done any coaching, um, prior to that. So, um, I think had I have done that, I, I wouldn't have even gone down the path that I ultimately went went down, which was, you know, acting out the way I was and behaving the way, behaving the way I was. Um, because if you get a good coach or coaches, um, you build skills and resilience, and you navigate yourself out of that. You know, you'll you'll avoid getting into bad behaviour patterns. Um, yeah. Which I've done since, but back then, no, I, I hadn't done any. Mm.
0: So, um, is what's between there and like where we where you got into that recruiting, and then that's kind of a natural, obviously, progression into this space of you know um, where you're at, where you're in now. What was what was your what was the last business you started? Um, uh, build labor. This, but no prior to that you oh, upskill learning upskill
1: yeah so yeah
0: in this sort of space of education and training um mm-hmm. is that kind of that natural is that that progression that you you know from into recruitment into coaching training
1: yeah so the upskill learning i mean we we're, we're fast forwarding a number of years there but um upskill learning came about um through contracting yeah so I had by this time left ANZ bank where I was in a really senior talent management and career management role within the bank, That's right. Um, left the bank and went into um, contracting, just kind of wanted to do my own projects had built up a lot of confidence and so forth to do that. Now mm-hmm. by this time as well um, for the record, I was fully transparent regarding my early career. So, I'd had a huge breakthrough. Um, again, yeah. not necessarily by my own choice. And this time I chose, I'd chosen a very different path and that was to say, I'm in, I'm in serious trouble. Um, I was incredibly vulnerable and I was very honest about what had happened in my earlier career. And the big difference there was, I was no longer hanging onto this myself. It was no longer festering just inside me. And simply through being honest and kind of saying, holy shit, you know, I'm, I'm on a bad path here. People came from everywhere to help. So job offers, job opportunities, networks, introductions, et cetera. Um, that's how I got into PwC. Uh, that's how I got into ANZ. And that's how I got into sort of my contracting after. But, mm. You know, the cards were on the table and people had known about my former behavioural, issues mm. but they also knew of my um my work competence yeah. and um, my achievements and what i'd done and my mm. reputation since so those two combined were awesome so fast forward and we got to upskill learning it, it came about through a contracting opportunity um uh, pk my former business partner and i worked Uh, contracting for a company that was doing education and there'd been a a change in policy, meaning that some funding was available to consumers, not just to businesses, to access certain courses. And Idaway had had always had a big passion in helping university students sort of think about their career. A lot of university students are there because they've chosen a course, like me. They've chosen a course but had no idea of where that course may be leading. Um, or the course that they'd chosen was so academic, but it wasn't really preparing you with real skills to um, come out and work in the real world. So we designed this tack-on course for uni students to do these practical skills, um, be it sort of business administration skills or simple financial skills, to make them, I guess, more job-ready for part-time work, but also... Um, for full-time work when they eventually left uni. Yeah. And we built this, um, this program and it sort of took off really, really quickly. And from there, we sort of went, well, if, if it's working with this demographic and it's working just across these programs, maybe we should expand the programs and we could be a bit of an agency because we knew how to engage university students. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these training companies didn't know how to engage them. So we found a niche in saying, "Well, you've got these great courses, but you don't know how to engage or connect with this audience, whereas we do. We will engage them and bring them to you, and that's mm. fundamentally what Upskill Learning was: was about attracting the certain archetypes or, or people um, into certain courses mm. through our through our um, engagement means.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just coming back to a little bit to what something we were talking about before, which is around this, like this idea of networks, Mm. how, I mean, you're, you you know, I would say knowing you for so long, like you're an active Mm. networker and you're very good at it. You're very Mm. good at creating relationships and harboring relationships. Yep. But what, what is in your, like in your consciousness around that, you know, and the importance of that and how, do you have any strategy around that? you know, how you go about it. Do you have any specific things that you try and do, you know, maybe annually or maybe it's monthly or maybe, you know, like what is your approach to networking?
1: Um, it's a really good question, mate. And God, I could talk about this for, for days. And I actually do, do and have done lots of presentations around networking and building relationships and so forth. But I have to acknowledge a, a guy who is a mentor to me and, mm. um, His name is John Burgess, and he runs a company called Kwan K W A N. And he came and did a presentation in my early days at PwC. And from that day on, it was like, holy shit, this guy's amazing. And he, um, his philosophy is very simple: it's who matters, everybody matters. So it's based on the concept of not dismissing anybody who crosses your path, Mm -hmm. be it the person at the desk of a major investment bank that greets you upon your arrival that you kind of think is just there taking your numbers, but really they're the CEO's daughter and they have all the connections and they pass on sort of first impressions and comments and things to the people that you're actually meeting with. Um, so, you know, giving someone your time and, or asking someone for their time must be given and received with the utmost gratitude, whoever that person is. Mm. And I've always since then tried to, to sort of follow that. Um, you know, I avail myself to people to, who reach out to me and ask questions and, um, I try and try and respond in a in a timely manner. In the same way, I I try and reach out and ask others for their time um, in a way that um, in a way that hopefully sort of allows them to say, Hey, yeah, no, I I want to be there for you. So that might be a little ego stroke or something. So I I th- I think networking is absolutely critical, and I. I wouldn't have achieved anything um, that I have to date without networking. Um, and everything that I'm doing going forward is about networking. Um, and it's so funny how so many people see networking in a transactional, awkward, um, awkward sort of way. Yeah. Um, because they're misunderstanding what networking is. Um, networking yeah. is giving and receiving, and so many people only see it as you're receiving, you're asking for stuff. What can I give them in return? Yeah. You can give great things in return. You can give gratitude. You can give thanks. You can ask them, so look, you've been fantastic for me today. Thanks so much. Is there anything that, that I could potentially help you with? Mm. It's a very simple question, but turning it around um, like that. And I think there once you understand that, that, um, that networking is this two-way process, give and receive, um you can implement your own ways personality and strategies to to make to make it um, a, a great sort of thing in your own life
0: yeah the, the just the, the idea of authenticity often comes up to me around networking just in mm. you know I, I think where i think where it can get hard is um sometimes you you identify the need for networking because of an opportunity that you want to try and leverage off Um, you know which is fine like that's what we're all trying to do we're all trying to seek out opportunities and leverage those to progress and create whatever momentum but it's coming at that with a level of authenticity and so if i know if i if i myself have got am coming at something whether it be networking or you know asking for help or asking something of someone and it's coming from a place of true authenticity, then it feels mm. more comfortable. hundred um, percent, mate. But, but sometimes it's just a reframing in your own mind, you know? So I, I will have an awkwardness about, you know, going and approaching this person for a certain reason. And then you explain that awkwardness to someone else and they all of a sudden just reframe it because they're not emotionally tied to that situation. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah. And so you just, you think about it in a different way. It's just... yeah. Yeah, it's just the unique. authenticity
1: piece, mate. It's great that you brought that up. It's it's so paramount. And you know, I'll give you an example of how I'm using the authenticity now. You know, I'm reaching out to um, founders, other founders. Um, I'm reaching out to wealthy investors, um, and and I'm asking for for stuff. I'm either asking for advice and help, or I'm I'm literally asking for investment dollars. Mm. Um, you can imagine that's pretty awkward you know particularly complete strangers asking for money Mm. so the way in which I do it as well is if I'm reaching out to someone I'm actually saying hey I'm I'm in a I'm in a spot of bother I'm Mm. actually I actually need some help I'm really stuck and um, I'm hoping that you can help me and it's amazing in what I've seen over you know, 25 plus years, um, how many people do actually want to help even complete strangers? So you're right about the framing and you're so right about authenticity. If I go out there quite vulnerable and cards on the table, I'm stuck, I need some help. Um, I've seen what you've done and I think that you might be able to help me. Um, Can you do so? That little ego stroke and that authenticity um, and vulnerability mm. is what opens the door to, to people wanting to help you. Mm. And I, I would, you know, go so far to say that that works in ninety nine point nine percent of the time. It might not be in the time frame that you want, so you might need help today, mm. and they might say, "I can do it, but it's going to be tomorrow." But that's where the flexibility comes in. But fundamentally, um, people do want to help. And will do so if you ask in the right way.
0: Do you think you learnt that or how much of that do you think you learnt through that experience of you going through that really rock bottom experience in your life with, you know, was it AJ Carney? What was the business?
1: A, AT, AT Carney. AT Carney. A-T Carney. Um,
0: you know, um, and coming out the other side and like you explained, you had, to, you had to go in, you had to go vulnerable at that point. You yeah. had to say all cards on the table and then the overwhelming support that you received because... Yeah. You know everyone knew who you were um, mm-hmm. beyond the a t Carney experience so mm. do you think fundamentally that 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 experience of being at probably one of your most vulnerable point vulnerable yeah. points you know adds to that confidence in being able to do that authentically today
1: i I think absolutely mate um that time of realizing that I can't go through this again. And I need, I need the help. So I need to tell people, you know, kind of what's happened and where I'm at and, you know, confess to the mistakes and things that I've made. Um, it, just doing that and seeing the support that I got mm-hmm. um, and seeing people say, that's all right, kind of, we all make mistakes, you know. Um, I've seen you work. I know who you are now. That was then. Um, I understand the circumstances back then, all that kind of stuff. The support that I got gave me the confidence to take this sort of um, behaviour way forward mm. in the being vulnerable. And that being vulnerable doesn't mean crying. Being vulnerable doesn't mean exaggerating. Being vulnerable is just being, to use your word, completely authentic. I I don't know what you know. Um, you're an expert. Can I pick your brain? It would really it would mean a lot to me. I'm stuck. I've got a problem. I can't work through this. Um, I lost my job. I completely effed up. I don't know if I can say that on the show. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> you can. Um, i i'm I'm really lost now and and i and I don't know what to do that that shows humbleness, I think people people see that and and yeah, like I said, people have an innate want to help, and um, and just honesty. So, I think you come in yeah. from,
0: you know, that honesty is hard to not appreciate on the other side mm. of it. You know, there is no bullshit there if you're literally saying it how it is. And i you know, I'm sure people can take advantage of that too if they really mm. wanted to. But um, something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is, which I'd be interested in get your take on, is this idea that um, you know, the struggles in life are the moments of growth, you know, the areas where we grow the most as individuals and human beings are those, are those periods of trauma, those periods of, you know, pain. And while I think that, you know, like I've had a, I've had a pretty good life, you know, like I haven't. Mm -hmm. And and what I mean there is I haven't dealt with death in a, in a way that you have, for example, I haven't, Mm I haven't had to deal with any major complications in my life, like you haven't you know,
1: been fired, mate. You haven't, I haven't been fired and I've humiliated. Been, <laughs> I've been made
0: redundant, but I haven't been yep. fired. You know, like no. And, and look, and, and some, and you know, like, I'm sure that we could sit here for the next ten minutes and just pick through different things that I think that I dealt with on a painful level. Mm. But the, my point is, is that I've been doing a lot of that sort of like reflection, you know, because part of that. And, and part of it is um, around going, all right, I'm in this sort of this juncture in my life and I'm looking, staring down the barrel of doing something a lot more independent than in, in my career than what I have in the past. And, you know, I've always been under the umbrella of someone else's business, which hmm. gives you a level of comfort, gives you a level of security. Um, So I started to go, uh, what are my values? What am I bringing to the table? Because ultimately that's what I've got to launch from so that Mm -hmm. everyone, and I can make it really clear what it is that, you know, you're getting, if I was to do something in partnership with someone or if I was to offer some services to someone, this is what you're buying. Like this is the value set that I have. And if they match yours, then great, let's do something. If they don't, then maybe it's not the right thing to move forward with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so creating values and, and the values that we have are so often created in those times of pain and struggle. Um, and so I, I sort of sit there and I reflect on these moments and I do it with Claire and, you know, she's got moments in her life that she thinks of straight away and I'm sort of like, fuck, I don't really have anything that's so fun that's really moulded these values in me, you know. And so then I start to become a bit like, like inadequate about that. Like, have I not? So
1: what, what, like, what values are you talking about specifically where you say you don't have them in you?
0: No, no, it's not that I don't have values.
1: It's that I haven't had those
0: major life changing moments of pain and, and, you know, like, and so anyway, I I would just be interested to get your take on, you know, like how fundamental those, those moments are in life and how you, you know, how you go about, you know, defining your values and what you take into a business. You know, ultimately mm. what what we're talking about here is, and because you've done it twice, you know, you've started mm. a business, you need to be clear on what you bring to the table and the values that you have as an individual and as a founder in mm. order to make sure that, you know, long-term, you're, that's your kind of guiding, that's your north star, you know, that you're always being true to yourself because the further you pull away from that, the more likely you are to... You know, to not be authentic and not to live live true to those values, which makes things tough. Mm. So, just thinking about the businesses that you've started, you know, how present is that within your decision making and within you know what you do?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, Jacko. Um, the comment that you made around, you know, some of our biggest learning is done through. Um, our biggest pain moments, I think, is absolutely true. As mm. I certainly reflect on my own life, be it um, you know losing losing mum in my mid twenties, um, being being fired and and humiliated, um, and you know sort of a, a, a end of a twelve year sort of you know personal relationship, intimate relationship. They're three significant pain points that i can draw upon and think about all of the learning that has come from that Um, they are such reflective times you're right you know and I, i hear people now through covid 19 talking about the reflections that they have and how their priorities have changed and how so many simple things that were often overlooked the ability just to rock up to someone's house and catch up with mates or Go for a walk freely on the beach, or leave the house without a mask on. You know, mm. they're now almost redefined as luxuries, not yep. even the basics. You know, they are a luxury right now. And mm. I, I saw a, a great little article which I can send you that sort of dives into the redefinition of luxury. So you're right. Um, as a founder and as a um, someone sort of starting a company and and, and also trying to build a culture. I think that's also something you're responsible for if you're the leader of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the stuff around integrity and authenticity um, are absolutely paramount for me um, because I've seen the power of them. I've seen the power in not having those mm-hmm. and how detrimental it can be. And conversely, I've seen the power in how, how positive and, affirming they can be Um, and it's something that you know I know that I bring to any strategic partnership um, you know just in terms of setting up that that whole relationship so to your point when you're speaking to partners and kind of talking about what you bring um, it's the recognition of this is what I'm good at and this is what I'm not good at you know and from the outset it's if you want me to do X, Y, and Z, um, you're going to get a really, really poor result there. But what I can give you is this, and that's critical um, stuff that I've learned over the years. So a lot of people still do talk about, talk up their strengths. And I think that's a really important thing to do. Um, Naturally in business, you always have to do that, but um, being able to talk openly and Mm. vulnerably and authentically about where maybe your deficiencies are or where you would, you would need to put your hand up and ask for help it is also so important in establishing really good relationships. It sets the tone for others to do that as well. Yeah. If you can do it and be vulnerable and show vulnerability in a non threatening way, it just enables other people to do it as well. Mm. So, you know, I, I think I'm, I've learned to be able to do that and to create that tone for others to follow.
0: Yeah. It's a real fast forward also on a lot of bullshit, you know? Like a lot it Mm. it really puts pushes the fast forward button. Once once you can honestly identify where you know, what you're not gonna bring to the table, you you save yourself a lot of time of finding that out through just the experience of, you know, getting involved with something that doesn't actually end up being what each of you thought it was gonna be.
1: Yep. Definitely. Uh,
0: so um, so okay so we're at build labor what is what yeah. do you, what is that what what does build labor do?
1: Yeah, build labor. Um, so I'm I'm coming up to 2 years into this and you'd never know it if you looked at my bank balance <laughs> um in terms of money coming in yeah 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 but um, money going out you'd kind of go yep makes sense. So build labor is a partnership myself and a and a really good mate Fraser Larkin. Yeah, um, Been mates for a long time, came together um, with an idea that was born out of Fraser's own frustration at being a site construction um, worker. He started, you know, 10 years ago as a, as a labourer doing the shit kind of jobs and worked his way up pretty quickly as a pretty senior experienced project manager. But was just incredibly frustrated at how hard it was back then to find work. Um, and now as a project manager to find labour, you know, really good quality labour. Blue-collar labour does not exist on LinkedIn. There's no sort of platform to be found um, or to search for sort of jobs. So it's a lot of networking and just your inner circles and all that kind of stuff. So we identified that there's a big gap in the market to um, create a platform and a marketplace that connected blue-collar labour with construction companies yeah. um so if it's like this mesh of linkedin facebook even tinder um, sort of thing, so using all of that to create digital profiles enabling workers to always be seen and never miss an opportunity but allowing companies to um, access and find labor in real time that's mm. way outside of their networks and without the need to go and use expensive recruiters or labor hire firms
0: yeah interesting so do you think that And how have you found, because immediately what comes to mind is what's the biggest driving force for that not being available right now? You know, like, is it the blue collar workers that aren't as disciplined or aren't as interested in that? Again, like maybe it's a networking, you know, LinkedIn is a networking platform, let's face it. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it the blue collar workers that aren't that proactive in that space? Or is it that there just hasn't been... A, a platform for them to become proactive?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of people make a lot of assumptions about blue collar workers. And I have learned over the two years that I've been working in the business that a lot of those assumptions are, are false. Mm. You know, we kind of, um, Fraser uses the term that, you know, they're the marginalized worker, you know. Um, they're the dumb kids at school, um, they were no good, and that construction is just um, sort of a a, a a simple escape or you know the easy route. But there are people like Fraser, as a classic example, who's incredibly motivated, um, incredibly talented, incredibly skilled, um, and he's learned that over the years. And you know he's now a co-founder of a of a, of a tech startup. But the, the challenge for a lot of blue-collar workers is that there, is, the, there are some issues. Um, they often have poorer literacy. They don't have resumes in the, in the sense that we do. They don't have the confidence to, to, to be able to go and market or, or, or um, network like we do. Yeah. So, you know, there are platforms and things out there, not necessarily construction-focused, Um, but that require them to use those assets to, to write cover letters or to create CVs. We're stripping that away. And instead we're designing a very simple profile that is in the, the construction tone of voice. um, And that's simple and relevant for them to actually be able to say, Hey, I don't need a resume. This, this thing guides me into it. Um, And this thing allows me to showcase myself. So that's what we're doing on the worker side. Um, and we're seeing in the very, very early stages, really good traction with that.
0: Yeah, great. I mean, it's a great concept. I I, I feel like LinkedIn's going there and that almost it's, you know, LinkedIn will be used more as a resource than resumes because, mm-hmm. you know, LinkedIn, you, it, it's so much more dynamic. You can see so mm-hmm. much more of the person. They can put so much more on there. Yep. So have you, so I, I actually legitimately don't even know where you are in terms of the business life cycle like you've launched you launched two years ago or you've created tech two years ago where, where are you in so
1: that? We, we, we launched with the idea two years ago and, and the roadmap to where we are today is we have self-funded um, our MVP yep. um, which is our minimal viable product so there's a product that's out there now in the market. Um, yep. We launched a pilot in May and June a very small pilot in uh, Victoria. In a Melbourne, um, with some networks of phrases um, on companies um, advertising jobs, yeah. and we we've now built sort of a, a, a platform of around a thousand workers um, into that who've gone on and created their profiles and um, are actively sort of looking for work. Um, yeah. We've placed a number of roles, which is really good. So now we're at that scaling point. Mm. How do we get out mass market marketing? Build out our tech, enhance the features. Um, based on, you know, constant feedback. Um, but, yeah, to, to to scale the business. So that's where we're at now, hence the, you know, investment and also the accelerator pathway.
0: Right. Mate, I, um, I realised that that turned into an hour very quickly. So thank you so much for that time. No worries, a- buddy. Good to catch up. I mean, I haven't seen you in a while, but it's... Uh, it's a long time. It's always good to... Um, pick your brain and hear what you're doing you know what i love about this i love about this the most actually is because you know like we've known each other for what the better part of 15 years but Mm. some of those details i had no idea about you know so it's Mm. it's amazing to get an opportunity just to sort of shoot shoot the questions and learn a bit more about your mates
1: Yeah, mate. It's I. I love I love the concept of what you're doing. You know, um, you, you've had some of your mates on there, and I think each time I've heard, you've learned so much about them, mm-hmm. um, just through talking about you know deep diving into work and and experiences and stuff. So yeah, it's a it's a great concept you're doing. But mate, love to see you in the flesh in a few weeks time mate, and, into, that on the bike and your lovely wife and and your kids and um get out there and enjoy some fresh air mask free hopefully
0: totally mate thank you
1: all right buddy Cheers. see you mate